Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I am sitting down with my colleagues Sergey Skredov and Max Mazin discussing space and not the thing that's outside, but the thing that's inside JetBrains. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, hi, Dan. Yeah. So let me allow you to each introduce yourselves. Sergey, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I'm Sergey. Uh, so I've been working for space since the very beginning. And before space, I was working also on Resharper and Rider. So my first experience in Kotlin is uh, actually Rider, a .NET ID. And yes, then I moved to space. And I'm team lead for space now. Max? Uh, yeah, my name is Maxim Mazin. Uh, I'm full-stack developer um, in space, and I'm also doing some project management, helping out Cedric, actually. Uh, before I'm working for space uh, in space for two years. Before space, I used to be a team lead of Utrecht, so I had some uh, Kotlin experience there. Utrecht is written Kotlin as well. Now, yeah. Now, what was it written in before? Uh, before it was written uh, in a mixture of Kotlin and MPS, uh, which stands for uh, Metaprogramming System. Uh, it's a DSL environment uh, by JetBrains as well. Uh, it's the main thing about it is uh, that it uh, enables you to create your DSLs using projectional editors. Uh, and as a result, uh, the DSLs are very powerful, but the experience of typing code in is mm, not so powerful. Rather complicated. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you need to get used to it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I think that maybe not a lot of people are are familiar with the concept of a projectional editor, um, but it it's actually kind of like that. Instead of using text, you can actually represent the code with anything, right? Be it with diagrams, with whatever, right? And and under the covers, it's essentially building ASTs around the the code, right? Is that correct? But uh, the MPS tries to. Uh, to pretend that you are entering text as good as it possible, but you never have incorrect AST. So like you cannot just paste a piece of uh, text there and hope that it will like somehow compile. In, uh, all the time you need to, to uh, input correct code. The world isn't ready for projectional editors yet. Right. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, exactly. And and yet, I, I it's funny that you can you often come across tweets saying that we need to move past text, and I keep thinking to myself, well, we did like 15 years ago with NPS, but the world doesn't really seem to uh, embrace it as much. But uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about NPS. We're here to talk about Kotlin, and we're here to talk about space. So we've mentioned space, and you both work there, and Sergey, your team lead. And but we haven't actually told folks what space is for those that aren't familiar with it. So who's going to give me a brief outline of what is space? Uh, so space uh, is a tool uh, which supports uh, development uh, lifecycle for different teams, and uh, it's an analog of an ID, but for uh, server side for for teams. So this functionality includes chats, uh, calendars, uh, team directory, hosting for repositories, uh, continuous integration, issue tracker, uh, and, uh, and many other tools that uh, uh, people from different teams use every day. So, and uh, our idea behind this project is to 
or combine all the tools and get a synergetic effect of having them all together integrated from the very first day and are, are working on the common data. So that's short description for what we do. That's actually a pretty good description. Well done. I thought we were going to take like two and a half hours to, to describe space, but that's been pretty good. Max, you want anything to add there? Yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, unlike the other team, uh, team tools that are trying to integrate with each other, as Cedric said, we were working on, uh, on the integration from the very beginning. And the main point here is that all the data is all together. So it's not like having several issue trackers and several you know, continuous integrations trying to connect them to each other. But while you are developing issue tracker, you already have some continuous, continuous integration. And for instance, you don't need to implement or like support comments for issue, uh, in issue tracking just because you already have chats and you just associate a chat with an issue, that's it. So you have the same user experience for chats and for comments under the issues and for discussions in code reviews and like questions under the blog posts. And you have the same um, user experience and you have uh, the, all the comments, all the data collected. So for instance, you can show uh, in the same like chat UI, you can sh show all the messages you get from whatever subtools of space uh, you get. So essentially IT departments kind of love you, right? Because you don't have to be integrating 600 different tools and you can essentially just have it all under one, yeah? Now uh, we are pro actually providing only cloud solution for now. So, <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Yes. <laughs> but, okay, okay. Yeah, the, so, so love us even more. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So your so our IT department loves you at least, <laughs> right? Oh, and these are not only IT department because we provide services for different teams. For example, or from or from the very beginning, we provide internal tooling for HRs, so we are, are automate different procedures in company related to vacation tracking or you know when when people go to go to vacations and they need to post it somewhere we are also automate booking off for rooms in the different offices or and uh, provide information about uh, public holidays in different locations so uh, and yeah, and and some some other uh, even do help with the financial reports for our uh, different companies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what I meant with the IT departments love you is that you know generally one of the complaints that uh, people have is if I have to maintain five different systems and I have to worry about the integration between these and I have to worry about mm -hmm. the permissions between these, if you have most of it in a single system, then, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's, but doesn't matter. I mean, somebody loves you. I love you. It's okay. We could, <laughs> I, I, the, the point was there is love. So uh, we, we can move on from that. Um, okay. So our departments apparently love, uh, loves us more because we grew from like 30 people to 80 people in two years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 80 people on the team, huh? So that makes it what? The third or fourth largest team at JetBrains? Uh, yeah. Third, I guess. Third. Yeah. yeah somewhere, I guess third. somewhere there. Okay. That's cool. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, space under the covers uh, because I'm assuming that this is built from the ground up with Kotlin. 
Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so before we get into what is being used where, uh, let's just recap what it is. This is a server-side application, which means that you access it from your browser, uh, but you can also access it from the desktop and from mobile, both Android and iOS, right? Mm -hmm. There is ID. There is ID plugin as well. There's an ID plugin as well. Okay. Are you planning support for Windows Phone? Oh, oh, maybe, maybe in five Later. years. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. I know a person that still has it. Uh, so now that we've got this, so the, the, the obvious question is, are you using Kotlin multi-platform? Yes. We do. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yes. Now let's dive into each aspect of it. Uh, so let's take the server side. What technologies are you using on the server side for this? Yeah. So uh, the backend is written uh, in Ktor. Uh, the front end is written, uh, front end is written in uh, Kotlin React, which is which is actually just React JS with Kotlin wrappers, and we use uh, styled components also wrapped uh, in Kotlin wrappers uh, for front end, and we use uh, like pro from Kotlin perspective, I guess it's more or less it. So we we also use Kotlin for various uh, testing uh, for instance we are using web driver tests written kotlin like based on java but we have a small extension uh, for uh, html elements and like pages this uh, web driver testing technologies uh, written in kotlin so we we use kotlin there as well okay so quite a bit to unpack there so you've got from one side you've got ktor which for folks that aren't familiar, shame on you, you should be already by now. Uh, it is the server-side and client-side uh, framework for creating um, applications, connected systems, built in Ktor from the ground up. Then you said you got Kotlin React, which is essentially, we've we've had a show on Kotlin React, uh, so folks can go back and listen to that. But it's uh, essentially wrappers around uh, Kotlin JS. And that's using definitely typed libraries, right, to create these wrappers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely type definitions. Uh, yeah, Kotlin React originates now in our project, so it's actually code extracted from space yeah, initially. Oh, really? So Kotlin React was born out of space? Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's nice. <laughs> yes, that, that's the only framework that we extracted from space. And we also oh, we're using also exposed, yeah. Exposed, yeah. Is a DSL yeah. So exposed is a DSL for accessing... A database, correct? Yeah, SQL databases. Yeah, SQL databases. That was born out of space as well. No, nope. no, it wasn't. That that wasn't. It, yeah. it was born from the internal development from uh, from this uh, from the application we have in JetBrains for all the sales. It was yes. written in Kotlin as well. So and Exposed was part of it. Okay, so you've got Exposed. You have Ktor. You have Kotlin React, which was born out of your. Um, the out of space itself and then the other thing that you mentioned was styled components with uh, uh with kotlin wrappers so what, what exactly is that uh style components uh like in a nutshell is the way to define uh styles style sheets css but not in css but in javascript so they are kind of bound to your components of uh, it plays well, well with uh, with React, and we have wrappers uh, that enables. I mean, they have some nice features. So uh, they generate actually not just style attributes for HTML elements, but they generate reusable classes. They inject these classes uh, into 
into your output file. And after that, you, uh, I mean, it's it's quite efficient comparing to uh, just putting styles or just writing CSS. Because, I mean, if you had experience with writing some CSS, it could be rather challenging, right? Yeah. Tell me about it, especially with all of the different flavors as well. Like, remember, do you remember less and SAS and all those different sure. things? Yeah. 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 Okay. And then the other thing that you mentioned was WebDriver uh, with Kotlin wrappers. So what is WebDriver for people not familiar with it? Uh, it's uh, actually WebDriver, uh, I guess uh, it's a standard for browsers uh, that enable uh, automatic um, some program to talk uh, to your browser um, and uh, thus enabling testing uh, of some user interface scenarios right in browser. And uh, Chromium supports it, so Chrome, uh, Opera, and Safari. Uh, there is a web driver implementation for uh, Firefox and Edge. So technically you can test whatever, whatever browser scenarios. And uh, so there are integration tests that are actually doing like opening page in a browser, clicking buttons here and there, checking that uh, some elements, HTML elements appear here and there on the page. And this all is provided by uh, by web, web driver support in, in those browsers. So you can, and yeah, and there is there are frameworks like Selenium, there are frameworks that enable you to write tests yeah, I was going to say. So we're talking about like Selenium here, where you could. I'd, I mean, I I didn't I I didn't get what at exact what moment when it happened, but from some point people stopped uh, name, naming it Selenium and started naming it web drivers. I guess maybe when it became a standard. Why Kotlin for that? Is it does it add any value to to use Kotlin for this? Oh, Kotlin is nicer language than Java. There there are different there are different. Um, flavors of uh, this selenium tests uh, and uh, you can and for sure you can write uh, these tests uh, in jvm language in jvm language for instance uh, in java so you can do it in kotlin uh, and kotlin provides you with some like nice features so basically when uh, the current state of the writing tests uh, for web driver is like that you it's uh, it it used to be before like you are writing just scenario you open a page you, you click there uh, there and here and now there is this um, page button where you define uh, some page with uh, elements on it uh, that uh, somehow relates to the actual actual page and you need to um, link elements uh, on the uh, on the page with uh, fields in your class this uh, the page is a class uh, and for in Java, it normally is done with uh, annotations, but annotations are kind of limited. I mean, you cannot put whatever code in annotations. And in Kotlin, it's possible to do with uh, delegate properties. So you can define rather custom custom ways of how to find elements on the patient, how to bind them to fields of your class. And moreover, you can extend it easily. Because like if it's just some property delegate, uh, you can build your own property delegate. For instance, if you have some some specific patterns on your page, like every input uh, identifier ends with input, so you can like you can build your own um, not annotation but 
um, your your own extension, your own, your own uh, property delegate. And now regarding the front end, so the back end is established as Ktor. Uh, so Sergey, you give me some details here in terms of the front end. So you're using Kotlin React. Uh, does uh -huh. that mean that uh, obviously when I'm using a client in the browser, um, that's that's rendering the the result, which is HTML CSS. But uh, what about the desktop application? Is that native or is that something else? <laughs> yeah, it's Electron for now. Electron, so what's that? I'm joking. <laughs> that's yeah. 600 processes in your in your task manager. That's what it is. It's Electron, okay. Why is it Electron and why is it not Kotlin native targeting Windows, Linux, and Mac OS? Uh, mainly because uh, there is no uh, appropriate technology yet. Uh, oh, so we are, <laughs> Yeah, uh, we are experimenting with Jetpack Compose for desktop, uh, but it's just experiment. What's now. wrong with Swing? I'm joking, you don't need to answer that. Uh, and uh, we do use Swing in the IntelliJ plugin. Yes, <laughs> a very highly modified version of it, right? So right now, the essentially you're rendering uh, an Electron application, but the longer term plan is to move to native, right? Yes, there is such plan. Uh, so uh, our code base is prepared for that. So we share most of the logic between our, all the platforms. Or I believe when we have a appropriate technology, so we'll switch quite quickly to it and we'll reuse most of our code. Okay, and talking about sharing logic, that's a good segue for us to discuss the multi-platform yeah. aspect, right? So you right now we've been talking two platforms. We've been talking backend and the front end. When you talk about sharing logic, what constitutes logic for you? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't share much between uh, front end and back end, so it's mostly it's uh, connectivity between uh, uh, in API. So for API, we define interfaces in common code, call them uh, from client side, and uh, implement these interfaces on the server side. So, and I believe mostly it's everything that we have in common code between server and client. Uh, there is some small pieces of logic, but uh, I don't think it's important. So uh, what about data validation? Do, do, don't you have uh, that? Data validation, it's a, it's a bit different. Now, when uh, you validate data on the server side, it's a bit, it's a bit different from client side. And there are common data validations performed by attributes, uh, by annotation, it's in, in this generated. So, uh, I believe it's, it's not that important. Uh, but uh, what's important is the ability to navigate in your ID <clears throat> from their uh, definition of some service on the server side uh, to, to its usages. And uh, you can update it using refactorings. So uh, it's the, the most important thing that Kotlin MPP provides us with. Uh -huh. What you're saying is that if I have, for example, some function in the back end and I'm uh, refactoring and it's being used by the front end, it's going uh -huh. to find the usages and it's going to rename it, right? Yes, that's true. Yes, for instance, if you see, if you see something like some some data used uh, in your user interface, 
you can navigate to the API method. You can from from there you can navigate to the backend, from there to the database, and like in several clicks you get from the from the data in your user interface back to the to its representation uh, in the database. Okay, but like doesn't that. that imply some tight coupling in a sense as well, front end and back end? No, it doesn't. It it's uh, exactly where dependencies are inverted. So both client and service they just use common interfaces. And the uh, client doesn't access uh, server side directly, right? Okay. So this contract defined an interface. Okay. Uh, it has its downside. I believe that uh, the greatest downside is uh, that uh, the API is becoming uh, much more easier to modify. Uh, so you just rename it or add parameter and uh, API is broken for all their clients. So and we take extra efforts to keep it stable. So if we defined it uh, some with some conventional way, it would be uh, easy to ma maintain. So do you have like an external API and an internal API? Or are you just surfacing a single API that you yourselves are using as clients? Am I making Actually, sense in we, what I'm saying? Yeah, we. I mean, we are for as a transport for our uh, web uh, and uh, mobile uh, UIs. We are actually using uh, sockets, uh, so you can hardly you can, you, you can hardly export and publish the sockets API to everybody. But based on the same uh, endpoints, we are generating HTTP API. So. Basically, uh, the API, the public API, and uh, the one that we are using uh, is the same one, but the transfer is different. Okay, that makes that, sense. Does that make any sense? Yep, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, and now talking about still staying on the multi-platform topic, what about the mobile end? How are those being developed, and and what? How much code share? I mean, I'm assuming that that's also called in multi-platform mobile, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the code uh, so, sharing there? Yes, yeah, so that's the place where code sharing is the most important thing uh, because we have uh, uh, two things to share. The first thing is uh, actual view models. So we use uh, MVVM approach to user interface for all platforms. So we uh, have uh, our internal re re reactive framework. Uh, and uh, expose all their properties and signals and sources and uh, modify and uh, viewable uh, observable collections uh, in these models. And all these models are, are created in common code uh, that is shared between uh, all the platforms. And uh, uh, it uh, turned out that uh, you can use reactive view models with React. You know, data storages for React are usually, uh, it's not MVVM style, but with MVVM, it works well. And MVVM works well for both Android and iOS. And the second uh, piece of logic that is shared is uh, 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 core technologies, like uh, this implementation details of this uh, RPC protocol, which allows allows us to call our interfaces from client side, uh, caching of uh, business logic on the client, or uh, life updating these business objects, or 
uh, modifying uh, uh, these objects on the client side with optimistic updates. So all these uh, technologies, are sh- implementation of all these technologies is also shared uh, between all the clients. And uh, it's, it's a lot of code. It's actually half of their code or the entire space. Talking about size of code, how big is the code base right now? I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was counting like several months ago, but I forgot the figures. <laughs> I mean, like hundreds of thousands of, of lines of code. Okay, so it's big. And uh, mm-hmm. how does that work for you on a team of 80 people and the scaling of it, both in terms of maintenance and in terms of uh, performance, especially with regard to, to Kotlin? Like do, like, do you feel that in terms, you know, one of the biggest selling points of Kotlin mm-hmm. has always been, oh, it's it's way more readable and it's more understandable and everything. Do you feel that? In a code base with eighty people and so, such a large, uh, you know, surface area. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we 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 don't have very strict strict like coding conventions or something like that, but code um, like kind of okay everywhere. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> that you, sounds I mean, so confident. It's kind of okay everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you compare it to Java, I guess Java code will be more consistent everywhere, just because it's stricter. But if you compare it to other languages, it's like just okay. I mean, there are slight differences between code styles of different team members, but not not that big. I mean, you could. I mean, it's readable. Not nothing specific. And uh, another thing to work with such a big team. Uh, is that we actually don't have too much process uh, in in space and in generate in general, and uh, I guess how it works now for space, uh, uh, it's uh, the most of our developers, and we've got like about fifty people of of this uh, eight people team are developers, and the most of them are full stack developers, so they are working on their features from the bottom top. Uh, including the database scheme and front end and maybe some mobile development, uh, and uh, it's it's uh, th- there are several like smaller teams that help with platforms like with the uh, UI framework or with backend frameworks. Uh, but normally you're it's it's okay like you're working in a team like of one or two people or maybe three working on some subsystem like issue tracking or code review or like that. And I mean, it's it's uh, it, it, it's okay. It's manageable. And you have people allocated to specific areas, and they don't move around. They mostly stay there. Yeah, mostly. But I mean, well, space is not that old, right? so I guess uh, like the the most of us are working less than one year. So uh, it, it is possible to move everywhere, and actually, we don't prohibit each other to like to touch other code. It's like a culture in space. So if you feel like you need something from chats, it's okay to go there and add some functionality there. You just like create a code review in space for the person who was in charge for that piece of code before you. And uh, how does this actually work when you don't even have a strict code style? Like if I no. come and touch someone else's code and I have my different style, 
and uh, you know there's no linter or anything like that or you don't follow any JetBrains code star guide well the Kotlin code star guide uh, how, how does this work that can't don't you end up in in these code reviews where you end up debating code styles or or people writing no, things never, differently never. we never debated code style I don't I, I remember one single time when we debated where to put dart uh, uh, on, on, on the beginning of the line or in the end. <laughs> okay, not code style in that <laughs> sense, but, uh, you know, certain certain requirements slash guidelines to follow, like, you know, uh -huh. don't, don't make functions that are just basically wrappers around the call to another function and, and things like that. Not, not particularly how the formatting is. Or, or don't use certain constructs of Kotlin in certain mm -hmm. scenarios, or don't do nested its when you have multiple, you know, lambdas. Don't you have any of these in place? No, we don't have any. And I personally don't think that any of these uh, such uh, contracts would improve code because what uh, actually can be improved is, uh, I don't know, composition, logic, uh, consistency, and so on, and these are metrics which cannot be exposed in uh, linters and code style. So your code is either uh, simple, readable, and uh, performant, or I don't know, or vice versa. Okay. And, uh, and, and we are we try to make it uh, uh, great, I don't know, in every aspect. That's great, and 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 someone could come and refactor someone else's code and make it look more appropriate to their liking, and there's absolutely no issue, and that's that's accepted, okay. Right? But I mean, if if it's the only thing you do, a refactoring code, it is like questionable, like why? But if you came there to add some feature and like rearrange a little bit, like some functions, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole six days of recording over code reviews right and and, and uh, <laughs> that's a completely other topic okay so coming back to some of the multi-platform aspects now space touches a lot of fields right you talked about vacations you talked about uh hr you talked about finances there's so many different aspects that you touch and obviously the domain is quite large and a lot of these require auxiliary libraries, uh, maybe working with daytime, which we all know. Uh, how did you cope with this when it came to multi-platform and Kotlin? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's different, <laughs> you know. Uh, we have quite a long story of multi-platforms. So we started using sharing code even before uh, Kotlin multi-platform appeared. So we shared as a linked folder. We just use the use the com folder with common code and share it between JVM and, and uh, JavaScript, uh, and it was a kind of nightmare because our tooling is uh, is IDE uh, is not capable of navigating or renaming such uh, uh, declarations in, in such style, and uh, and we adopted uh, every multi-platform library even before it appeared. So we started using coroutines before before it was introduced in standard library. And uh, as for date times, uh, we have a long story. Uh, so we still don't use uh, Kotlin daytime, Kotlin X daytime, uh, and I don't think we 
can migrate because uh, we already have lots of dependencies. Uh, our current style of working with date times is based on two libraries, which is uh, or three libraries, which is Java date time, uh, Jada date time, and uh, Moment on uh, for JavaScript. And I, I don't remember and some some more implementations for for iOS. It's NS date, yeah. NS date for iOS, yes. Uh, and we use abstract type. We use expect actual polymorphic type, uh, and all the operations are implemented on, on this type using different libraries. So we have common inter common API for all the different libraries with date times. So why haven't you extracted all of this and contributed it back to Kotlin multi-platform daytime library? Because it's very ad hoc. I mean, compared yeah. to what, what you have in for Moment or for Yoda uh, daytime, it's very ad hoc and has it has only several methods of uh, uh, for mm -hmm. arithmetics and a couple of methods for, for date formatting. Okay, so it's basically strictly on an as-needed basis, right? Whatever we need, we just implement that and move on, right? Exactly, yeah. It's not exhaustive, okay. And you mentioned, Sergey, I remember this, that you started before the whole Kotlin multi-platform, and we all kind of know that Kotlin multi-platform has gone through a series of uh, uh -huh. phases so to speak uh, -huh. uh where we had uh the kotlin multi-platform then we had hierarchical kotlin multi-platform how has the migration been for you folks has it been painful <laughs> challenging yeah challenging yes that's, yeah that's fine <laughs> mostly okay so all the major migration that happened when project wasn't that big so but still, uh, every time we update Kotlin, it's quite a challenging thing because we need to update all the libraries, all the usages, and make sure that IntelliJ plugin works well. Uh, Kotlin native usually has some uh, big changes still. So it's kind of it's, it is still quite a challenging task. Yeah, and so, you're using obviously now you're using uh, well, apart from Gradle multi-platform. Are you using Groovy or are you using KTS? Uh, we use both. 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 Okay. For most project we use Gradle, and uh, we have, we have built the SRC where we use Kotlin. So all all common all our complex code of build system is written in Kotlin in the build SRC. Right, and we. Can this way so let's talk about issues uh and i don't mean the issue tracker in space i'm talking about kotlin <laughs> issues what is your main pain point right now build time build time that's funny i've never heard anyone complain about build time with kotlin are you sure are you sure yeah. it's not you it's not Kotlin? <laughs> 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 yeah so the build time is the biggest pain yeah, yeah build time and the responsiveness of id it's a uh, speed of code completion, navigation, refactorings. I feel like uh, the IDE became well, way, way better last like last year, because I just from time to time I like I recall how painful was like completing something in that big file, and now it's like just works. Uh, but for but, but the build time is still still very bad. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I know that there's a there's this a lot of emphasis, and folks are working on improving the performance, especially with the tooling. And yesterday, which uh, we we're recording this on the 13th of October, and on the 12th of October, we had our mm -hmm. the first day for the Kotlin 1.4 event, mm -hmm. where we discussed some of the roadmap and and what's happening, and and of course in the tooling area. But so generally, right now, it boils down to essentially performance. Uh, of the IDE in term in terms of navigation, etc., and uh, the compiler speed, right? Both of which I believe they continue to work on. I so. believe that compiler speed is not that dramatically affects our performance. So I believe that most of the thing is in Gradle. So in our project, we have lots of models, and every multi-platform module it adds, uh, yeah, you know, uh, one, two. It's, it, it adds several models for each uh, module that you define in your code. Uh, and we have lots of multi-platform models. And we also have plugins. And for, for each plugin, uh, you know, it's it's kind of uh, helps with our code coupling and so on. So we, we are not going to uh, expose server-side plugins for users, but internally we are, mo we, we are very modular uh, system lots of models, and each model is a extension for both server-side and client-side and the API level. So when you introduce a small plugin to space, you introduce, I know, 30 modules to our project model. So and Gradle doesn't handle it very well. Yeah. But overall, do you think that going with Kotlin was the right choice? Uh, what, oh. what are the options? Well, I mean, you could have done anything, right? I mean, you're starting a product from scratch. You could have written it in, in C Sharp and, and used, uh, I don't know, Xamarin. Or, or you, and if you wanted multi-platform, you could have uh, maybe using Kotlin, use Kotlin, uh, sorry, uh, mm -hmm. use uh, React Native or whatever. I'm just wondering, has Kotlin provided you with something that you feel has overall speeded up your development that it would have taken you much longer and with yes. more people. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. It does. So for me personally, I wouldn't join space if it if it wasn't for Kotlin. Uh and I I wouldn't start uh, developing Rider, which is uh, this .NET idea if it wasn't for Kotlin. Uh because I I just can't program in Java. You know when I uh when I was programming on C sharp, yes and uh, and transition to Kotlin was very smooth, and I get some bad benefit in comparison to even C sharp. And uh, I would never go back to Java. So I believe it's true for many people from our team, and uh, and taking into account uh, how, how much efforts we saved. I don't know, for example, on using coroutines for asynchronous code. Uh, because uh, when we started uh, started developing spaces, so there were no coroutines, and we used uh, different Rx frameworks, uh, continuation Python style, and so on. And then we refactored into coroutines, and code reduced uh, by three times uh, in most of the cases. And I felt like, wow, <laughs> I remember how much time I spent coding this before coroutines. Yeah, and the code reuser, sorry, the code sharing also, I assume, is is helping here, right? Yes, across the yes. platforms. 
Okay. Yes, I believe in, in on, on our scale, space wouldn't be possible uh, because our uh, jet brains we don't uh, uh, we, we are not used to uh, create huge teams from the very beginning, and uh, and Kotlin allowed us to create a prototype of, of space uh, by a very small team working on all the platforms and for many features. Okay. Max, anything to add from your side? Yeah, Kotlin is very adorable. I mean, if you can compare it to other languages, and uh, there are no other languages for multi-platform. Maybe, maybe .NET, but I mean, some .NET languages, but there are not. There are no other nice multi-platform languages, right? So you could do it in JavaScript for sure, or TypeScript, but or TypeScript. Uh, okay, yeah, any 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 sort of, of JavaScript, uh, but it's, I mean, you, you don't get that fun while you're working with these languages comparing to Kotlin. Right, and that uh, it feels like a very subjective thing, but at the end of the day, it is. you know what? It is it is very important as well, right? Because if mm -hmm. you're enjoying what you're doing, you're enjoying your tooling, and you enjoy the languages that you use, it's going to make you feel better, and feeling better is ultimately going to result in in, in happiness and better uh, efficiency, right? And, and the work that you do, you're mm -hmm. going to enjoy it more. Uh, so yeah, it is subjective, but it also has an impact whether we like it or not. Cool. Uh, and one last thing I want to just briefly touch up on is that obviously all of this is under the covers. It's all Kotlin, but you have actually surfaced Kotlin as a feature of space as well, right? In the automation scripts. that mm -hmm. That's all essentially now uh, writing your automation uh, using Kotlin. So tell mm -hmm. us a bit more about that. Yeah, of the automation mo build model for automation scripts is completely is it's Kotlin script. Uh, we have support for these scripts in IDE, which means that IDE f automatically fits all the dependencies, create uh, uh, creates code model and provides completion, and uh, even can uh, uh, provide some assistance with what what your what model actually is created by your script. Uh, so uh, I should say that Kotlin uh, in uh, automation script is not not the only use of Kotlin outside in, for Kotlin users. So we are currently working on releasing uh, our, our cli Kotlin client for our HTTP API, and it uses uh, Kotlin a lot. So I, I, I could feel it when I was trying to use it from Java. It, 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 it didn't feel very well. So we need to generate another client for Java. <laughs> but for Kotlin, it's very concise and uh, uh, good exposure of our APIs. Uh, so if you use the GraphQL before, so it's like GraphQL, but exposed in Kotlin DSL and uh, uh, a little bit improved GraphQL because, you know, in GraphQL, all the calls to methods usually take one screen of code uh, but in our Kotlin client it's still quite compact so that's uh, and our uh, and, and of course there is connection between our uh, this API exposed in, the, in this uh, Kotlin client and the automation scripts so it will be possible to use uh, API from automation scripts as well so it's all it's 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 already possible. We are going to make some improvements there in terms of uh, latency of this 
executions. So currently automation runs containers for every uh, for, for execution. And we are going to implement support for lambdas. So we'll have better latency for calling small automation actions as a reaction on, on different things that you do in space. You also mentioned that you had extracted the framework Kotlin React from space, and uh -huh. it feels like there's a lot of uh, code there that may not be proprietary, uh, particularly. Uh, are you planning on making other things, maybe open source, maybe some libraries or other extracting? Like you spoke, you you mentioned uh, your reactive framework that you have. Are uh -huh. these things going to remain uh, closed source, or do you have plans on making any of this open source? Uh, as for reactive framework, I don't think so. Uh, it's quite convenient. It's simple, but I don't think it's uh, uh, it can be useful, very, very useful. You know, uh, it's uh, actually it is uh, open sourced already as a part of our RZ as a part of framework that Rider team has uh, uh, open sourced. Yeah, the RD one, right? The RD. Yeah. Yes, it contains all the primitives that we use in space for, for reactive programming and also support for distributed re reactive programming. Uh, uh, Kotlin uh, cli client will be open source, so there will be a generator for uh, for gen gen common gen generator code and a generator for Kotlin and C-sharp. Uh, so when we release a Kotlin client, there will also be a client in C-sharp. Uh, it's also open source. And uh, of course, we are going to provide lots of examples of applications that uh, use Space API and uh, extend space also in the open source. Right. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, look forward to that and see what, what is available. Well, we're out of time. So thank you, both of you, for coming on and giving us a chat about uh, space. And I know that you're close to release. So best of luck on that release. And um, we'll speak soon. Thank you for having us. Yeah.